As I mentioned, we've been uh, working our way through a series called All Things New, and uh, Pastor Jordan started it with uh, a, a sermon on brokenness, and then we, we got into, uh, we're a new creation. That was a good one, right? Remember that sermon? Fun, help me out now. Yeah. <laughs> See, you, you don't know, but, you know, if you, if you encourage a preacher, he, he tends to preach better. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. There you go. There you go. Okay, so we went into new creation, and last week we talked about new victory, the victory that is ours in Christ. And today I want to talk about a new command, a new command that's been given uh, to us. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, put up for me Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, it's on the screen. It says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. And he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices that are required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Really cool story. There was this, there's a a story uh, that many of you would be familiar with, but it's a story about a, a professor who was teaching a class on time management. And he walked into the classroom and he put a a really large jar on his his table. And he started putting rocks in this jar, maybe about the size of tennis balls. And he filled up this jar to the top. He put these uh, rocks in until, these big rocks in until they reached the top. And then he he looked out across his, his class and he said, is this jar full? And, the, and somebody said, yes, sir, it's full. And he said, really? And then he began to fill it again, except this time with much smaller stones, like fine gravel. And it was filling in the spaces in between and all around the bigger rocks that were in there. And then he asked again, is this jar full? People are starting to get it. Now you don't want to look foolish, so no one says anything, right? He says, good answer. And then he began to pour sand into the jar. And it began to fill all the spaces between the big rocks and the small rocks. And he asked, is this jar now full? Good answer. He began to pour water into the jar until it was filled to the brim. And then he looked out at his students and he said, so what is the point of this illustration? And one student put up his hand and he said, Sir, no matter how full your schedule is, you can always fit something else in. And he said, No, that's not the point of the illustration. The point is this. 
If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. These commands that Jesus gave us are the big rocks. They are the big things for us. He gives us in this passage the big things that we need to make sure that they are there in the core of who we are. They're, they're there. And then when all the other stuff gets, gets added, when, when life gets hectic, the most important things don't get lost. They're, they're there, ready for us to use when we need to. Now, before, uh, I, w- I was going to say, before we knew Jesus, we, we, most of us had a tendency to live more for ourselves and to make that a higher priority. But this is a new command, that now we are new creations in Christ Jesus, that we now have been given a new way to live. And Jesus makes it clear what he thinks that we need to focus on. These, he said, sum up all the laws. Now, remember, if you didn't know, in those days, the religious teachers or the scribes and the Pharisees, even the Sadducees, they would all sit around and argue about what was the most important command or what were the most important commands. And, and they, would, they would all have their perspective on all of these things. You see, uh, in the Torah, they had about 613 specific commands that, uh, that the Pharisees and others were trying to obey. 365 of them were negative. They were things you know, no, no, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And then 248 of them were positive. They were things that you should do. And, uh, but in total, they had 613 very specific commands that they were all trying to follow. And so it was a natural debate that would rise up to say, okay, of, of all these, of all the do's and all the don'ts, of all these 613, what ones are the most important? And so Jesus gets asked this question, and he answered it very clearly. The first, he says, is to love God. It's one of our new commands, especially for those of us who call ourselves a believer. It must be in our life. Look at Mark 12, 29. He said, Jesus replied, the most important command is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So he starts to quote from what the Hebrews knew as the Shema, which is Deuteronomy. And uh, uh, I learned it in Hebrew class. Um, I'll butcher it now if any of you know Hebrew. Uh, It's it's something like Shema Yisrael Adonai Adoheinu Adonai Echad. Not too bad, eh? Now, somebody who speaks Hebrew will think I just slaughtered that. But, but it's, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so, so this, is, this is where Jesus starts. And, and so he goes through the heart, the, uh, the soul, the mind, the strength. And I was, I was thinking each word sort of means something. And I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Each word, I think, is significant. He says, the heart, love the Lord with your heart. What, what's your heart? It's, it's the source of our feelings. It's the source of our emotions. To love God with our heart means that we, we, we love him deeply. We love him personally. We love him passionately. That it, that, that, that's, that's, it comes from the heart. It's not this distant love. It's not a cold love. It, it, it's, it's meaningful. It's personal. We love him with our heart. He says, love him with your soul. Soul is like 
it refers to like your entire life, like you're, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're, you're every day walking around, you know, regular everyday life. Your soul is who you are and what you are. And if someone, like if someone asks you what, what you are or who you are, remember we talked about that in New Creation? I said, hey, what if we started walking around saying, instead of saying, hey, what do you do? Hey, I'm an IT guy. No, you walk around and say, I'm a... Yeah, remember I said I'm a reconciler? Remember that? See, that sermon deeply impacted you. Yeah, so anyway, uh, we did talk about that. Yeah, anyway, but if someone was to ask you, you know, who are you? What do you do? You know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You could give them, you know, who are you? You could say, well, my name is Jeff, but that's not very descriptive, is it? There's a lot more to me and to you than just my name. So I could say something like, well, I'm, I'm a husband, um, I'm a father, uh, I'm a pastor. You know, you could start going down through the list, right? Um, but the most important thing that we are is I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a new creation. I'm a reconciler. I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Is it coming back to you now? Remember we talked about this. And uh, so loving God with your soul, it's like, it's like allowing him to define who you are. It's allowing him to define what you are. He, he becomes a part of your everyday life. I'm not just Jeff, husband, pastor. I'm Jeff, follower of God, he, you know, new creation in Christ. You know, this is who I am. This is really who I am. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm loving him with my, with my life. And, and I think that, that sort of captures soul. So our mind, he says, love him with your mind. I mean, obviously, your mind is the place where, where most of us do our thinking and our learning. Uh, it, it, loving God with our mind means that we, we can learn, we can grow in our understanding, we can increase our capacity to, to see and comprehend his greatness, to ponder his mercy, his power, his grace. Those of you that have that have walked with God for a number of years, have you not seen that he's this bottomless well that you can study and understand, but yet he just reveals another layer, right? You with me? He, he, he's just, he's just like that. But there's still the call on us to love him with our mind. We, 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 we keep our minds engaged. We don't decide to believe in Jesus and check our brains out the door. He says, love him with your mind even though he's too great to fully understand. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 3. Put that up for me. It says, when I think of all this, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So, we love him with our mind. Last, he says to love, you got to love him with your strength. Now, strength has nothing to do with how much you can bench press. That wouldn't be fair because I couldn't do very much. 
Um, but we love him with our strength. It, it's, it's, strength is just pointing to our energy output, to, uh, to our work, to our job. Whatever you put effort into, you put strength into. He's saying, love God with, that, with those things that you're putting your strength into. Do it for him. Do it for his glory. Do it for his fame. Do it in a way that would make him proud. Know that he's watching and do it for his honor and his glory. Amen? Amen. Everyone's quiet today. Help me out now. It's November. It's getting cold and it's lousy. God help me in here now, all right? So it's, it's love him with our strength. Everything that we put effort into... Paul actually explained in a, in, a, in a way what it means to love God with your strength. Uh, Colossians, put that up for me, 3.23. He says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. See, so you show love for him when you put effort into the things that you're involved with. You, 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 you love him when you do it for him. You love him when you do it for the right reasons, not to get attention to, to, to yourself, not to, not to raise up your name higher, but you're doing it for him and for his purposes and for his calling and glory uh, you know, to be seen and heard. So when you put all these things together, you've got, you got heart, soul, mind, strength. He's basically saying this. I, you need to love. Jesus is saying this. You need to love God with everything you got, with everything you got, every component of your life, from the top of your head right down to the bottom of your feet. You've got to love him. You've got to love him with everything, all of yourself, every fiber of your being, love him. So the word, by the way, that he uses for love here is, is agape, and that's, that's, the, that's the love. It's that unconditional love. It doesn't depend on emotion or sentimental feelings. Uh, agape is it's this intelligent, willful, uh, determined kind of love. It, it, it generously chooses the interests of others over, the, over and above yourself. It, it's, it's about what you're committed to, right? Agape is a commitment. It's about what comes first in your life. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what they say or do, I have made a choice. It's a decision and a choice to love and to obey God with everything that you've got and not to hold anything back. Agape love is a tough choice, by the way. It's a tough choice that he's asking us to make. That our love for him shouldn't be based on how we feel, right? When we're in a powerful service and the band is kicking and, oh, I love you, Lord. I, and, but, you know, when we walk out the doors and you stub your toe and your boss hammers you or someone taps you in a parking lot or scrapes the side of your door and then leaves and, you know, all those moments in life, not that easy sometimes to love God in different times. When tragedy comes, when difficulties rise up, when challenges arise, he's still calling us to agape love we choose. It is a determined, willful choice. It's a commitment that I've made, right? That doesn't matter. No matter what comes our way, we will not be shaken. That's what he's saying. Love me like that. Love me like that. And so 
This is how he's asking us to love. He uses the same agape word to say love people. Now, loving God is one thing, but loving people, seriously, it's a whole other matter. God, you know it. You know it, right? I mean, I I can love God because he first loved me, right? I can love God because he's good. He's great. He's gracious and kind. I can love him because he saved me, died for me, given me a hope for eternity that one day I will be with him. I can love somebody like that. Oh, but man, there's people. Ooh. There's some people that aren't, aren't they, they, they're not that easy to love. Look at Mark 12, 31. It says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. So one of the other debates that the religious leaders used to have was about that it would, it would revolve around the word neighbor. Uh, what, what does that word neighbor really mean? And so for a lot of the religious Jews, they considered their neighbor to be a fellow religious Jew, someone who was just like them. And other people who weren't like them, meaning Samaritans, you know, Romans, Gentiles, uh, anybody, right? For them, those people were the enemy. They were hated or, or, or at best simply disregarded, but they were never seen as a real neighbor. Now, Jesus, of course, <laughs> like he normally does, he blows their minds with, with how he expands everything, right? He broadens the meaning of the word neighbor, when he tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? Um, we call it the Good Samaritan, but it, it probably should be, you know, uh, something like, who is my neighbor or something like that. That's probably a better, anyway, don't rewrite the Bible or anything, but I'm just saying uh, it's probably a better title. Look at Luke 10, just uh, uh, 25. Put that up for me. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Look at this is what we're talking about today. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, okay? And to love your neighbor as yourself. This guy had it, right? He got it right. Right, Jesus told him. Right, you got it. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Because, like, I'm a religious Jew. I want my, my neighbor to be my fellow religious Jew. Not that nasty Samaritan, that smelly guy. Not that guy who doesn't believe the same way I believe or, or look the same way I look. Like, I don't, I don't want him to be my neighbor, right? Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. You all know it. We don't, I don't want to take the time to read it. But at the very end, verse 36, he says, you know, the priest and the law, and then the Samaritan, you know the story, okay? And then at the end he goes, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, so go and do the same. Who is my neighbor? When Jesus broadens the meaning of the word, you can't get around it, my friends. Your neighbor is anybody that you come across. In need or not in need, he's still your neighbor. 
The better question maybe is not, who is my neighbor? Maybe the better question is, am I being a good neighbor? Maybe that's the better question to ask. Loving your neighbor means loving the people around you. All of them. But, like, seriously, though, Pat, like, even this, yes, even her. But what about the guy, like, even him? But you don't know what this guy, I, yes, I don't know, but you got to love him anyway, right? Like, even him, even her, but you don't know what the guy puts me through. There's no out. There's no out. A neighbor is anyone you come across, anybody in your life. Are you being a good neighbor is the question that you need to ask. All of them, all of them, with agape love. With agape love. See, some people will never be your friend. It's not a philia kind of thing. You just need to agape them anyway. You just choose to love them anyway, see? It's, it's a choice. It's unconditional. It's, it's an intelligent, willful, determined choice that you are committed to, that you put first. He's saying, I want you to love people like that. So loving people can be so difficult. Yeah, you've met a few, eh, Gary? Yeah, there's a, like, it can be difficult. Oh, the stories we could all tell. You know, but loving people can be difficult. Some people are easier to love than others. That's just the truth, right? If we are to agape love them, we're going to need help. See, Jesus asks us to do something that we're actually not capable of doing. Isn't that bizarro in a way? But he says, but don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. I will send the helper, and his name is Holy Spirit. And he is with us. He is in us. And because of him being in our lives, what did we say last week? That we are more than conquerors, right? We have overwhelming victory. We have victory on top of victory on top of victory. We don't just win 2-1, we win 22-1. We win Overwhelming victory, like the Leafs had last night. Overwhelming victory. Sit down, Sidney Crosby. Yeah, yeah. Overwhelming victory. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. There you go, there you go. Now we're getting fired up. Wait, I got def- to develop a sermon on the Leafs. That's, they got to fit these in somewhere. Anyway, look, overwhelming victory is ours Through Jesus Christ. This is who we are. New victory has been given to us. He wins and shares his victory with us. And now we have that. And so we have to use that. We have to use it to love people who are not easy to love. I am going to choose. I'm making a choice. I can't let myself off the hook too easy. I can't try to justify who my neighbor is. I can't try to justify my lack of love. I, it's, it's wrong. It's not who I am. I am a new creation with new victory, filled a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I need to act and respond and live the who I really am. Amen? This is the challenge before us. See, 
Our love can't depend on how people treat us. This is normal. This is normal. But we're talking about an abnormal, supernatural love, right? If somebody hates me, the natural reaction is, I hate you. You don't like me, I don't like you. But this kind of love says, I don't care if you like me or not. I don't care if you're mean to me, if you abuse me, if you do bad things to me. I am still going to love. Oh, I may, I may be careful, but I'm still called to love. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm still called to love. Our love can't depend on how they treat us. They, it can't depend on if they deserve it. You didn't deserve his love. And some people don't deserve yours, but you're supposed to give it anyway. Right? It, it can't depend on what they think about religion. It, it can't depend on what they think about politics. Oh, good Lord, Facebook scares me sometimes. Ooh. Easy on the politics, people. Just saying. It, it, it can't depend on the color of their skin. It can't depend on the size of their bank account. It can't depend on where they live. It, it can't depend on if, if there's a win for me, if they can benefit me somehow. And that's why I show them love. It can't depend on any of that nonsense. We choose to love others the way that Jesus has chosen to love us. With agape love, it's a willful, determined choice. You don't think he knows all the bad things you've done, but yet he chooses to love you anyway, right? While we were still sinners, Christ came and died, right? While we were still enemies, he loved us. It's agape love. He chose, chose. And so it can't depend on any of these peripheral things that we that sometimes we, we use as an excuse or to try to justify ourselves. And I'm, and I'm asking us today, myself included, we, we cannot let ourselves off the hook that easy anymore. We are called to a new command, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with agape love, to choose him, and also to choose to love people no matter what. This is difficult, but yet... He's given us the ability to do it. We choose to love others the way that Jesus has chosen to love us. His love is undeserved, but his love is also unreserved. Somebody write that down. That was really good right there. Yeah. Yeah, that was a drop. Yeah. So he, his, lo- his love, I didn't get that from a book. That's real. His love is undeserved, but it's also unreserved. Right? And he calls us to love the same way. So loving people, by the way, is, and we've got to wrap up very soon, and I'm not going to be long today, but loving people is, it's really an extension of, uh, of loving God. And this is why these two things, Jesus puts them together and says, really, it's not really a one and two thing. It's almost like a 1A and a 1B. They, they really go together. They're, 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 they're really, uh, uh, they have this sort of a symbiotic type relationship. That loving God is really an extension, or loving people is really an extension of loving God. So we start by loving God, right? And then <clears throat> the visible proof, right? The visible proof 
that, we, that our love for God is real. The visible proof, don't miss this, the visible proof that our love for God is real is that we love people. Mm-hmm. If we don't love people and we say we love God, the Bible calls us we're liars. That's what the Bible says. Look at um, Matthew. Uh, just let me read a couple to you. Matthew 25. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Thirsty, give you something to drink. Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, you were doing it to me. This is real. This is real. Romans 13 is another one. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, check out these words, very powerful. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, must not steal, must not covet. These and other such commands are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, and so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Do you understand? Isn't that cool? He's saying, listen, if you truly love someone, you're not going to covet, you're not going to steal, you're not going to commit adultery, you're not going to do all those, all those other things. If you, can, if you can just love people, if you love them, agape love them, choose to love them, put their interests above your own, then... All of these things will fall into place, right? Seek first, right, the kingdom of God, right? And, the, and his righteousness, and then all of these other things fall into place. And this is one of them, loving people. When we put God first, he teaches us, helps us, strengthens us. He convicts us. He challenges us to love people the way that he does. See, if his love is in us, then that love, it's going to express itself. It has to come out somehow. It's going to express itself in the form of service. I'm serving others. Uh, John said in 1 John chapter 4.20, said, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? See, obedience to the second command becomes possible when we obey the first one. And that's why they're tied together. Love God and then love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So, all things have become new. All things have been made new. We are new creations with new victory. And now we have been given new commands to live by. So if we want to reach a fuller capacity in our relationship with Jesus, if, if, we, if we want to have him use us as special utensils, as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, if, if we want to be honored with you know, more of his anointing and more of his power that we could impact people around us in a greater way, we have to get this right. Get the first one right. Love God. And then you'll love people.
These two commands are the two big rocks in our lives. We've got to get these in first before all the other stuff gets added or we'll miss, or we'll miss, uh, we'll miss getting them in at all. So if you want to reach a fuller capacity, get this right. These two commands are indeed the big rocks in our lives. And we've got to make sure that they're in us. Make sure that, that you get these right. A lot of the stuff... Life gets hectic, and all the other things that you know we require and uh, uh, that people require of you, and and this and that, and you got to run around and do this, and oh, I got to serve God, and oh, I got to look at my family, oh, I got to work, oh, I got to do this, and all these other things can get in our way. And so, before we add anything else, I'm asking us this morning to just be introspective enough to say, these are the big things in my life. These are the the two big commands that Jesus himself asked me to get right. I need to make sure that I love God. And I need to make sure that that love is real and that it's expressing itself through service and love to the people around me, even those people who are difficult and challenging. Look at, uh, I'm going to wrap up here, Galatians 6. It says, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're just not that important. I love that verse. Loving God leads to loving our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? It's anyone who the Holy Spirit puts in your path. So one of the most loving things we can do, by the way, is to share the good news of Jesus. Don't you think so? Right? It's one of the most loving things we could do because once we, we, we've discovered this, this good news and this great love that we have received from the Lord, we want to share it. And I love you enough to want you to know this. Right? It's an act of love, and it needs to be done in a loving way. Right? One of the most loving things we can do is to share it. We share his forgiveness. We share about his grace. We share about his mercy. We share about his power and his ability to set us free, to give us new hope in a future. He, we, we share that because we care enough about people to do that. You see, if you, don't, if you don't love someone, if you don't care about that person, it's very unmotivating to share with them about Jesus. Do you understand? You know, people go, oh, let, let, let them die without God. You know, ever, you ever heard people say stuff like that? Because I, I hate them so much, you know, don't even care if they go to heaven kind of stuff. This is, this is where the challenge is that we have to love God and love people enough to share this news. Anyone we truly love, we would want them to have this too because it's way too good to share, don't you think? It's just way too good to share. Way too good not to share. Sorry, way too good not to share. So it begs the question, and uh, just as we close today, it begs the question that we need to ask ourselves, or you can ask yourself. How, how loving am I? How loving am I? Seriously, ask yourself that. I've been asking myself that recently as I've been uh, prepping and going through this series. How loving am I really? It's so easy to love the people who love me. 
so easy to love the people who offer me benefits. You know, I can get something from them. But to love somebody who's mean, nasty, to love somebody who can offer me nothing, it's a whole new level. And I, I challenge you and encourage you, let the Holy Spirit just seal this into your own heart and mind. But how loving are you? And if you see a lack of love for others, that, that it's just not being displayed enough, at all, or maybe even at all, out of your life, then start by going, just take one step back and begin to love God more. Begin to let him change you, transform you, soften you, fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. And when, when he does that, then he will at the same time reignite your love for people. It will happen. And so I just encourage us, this is the new command. All things new, this is the new command that has been given to us. They will know we are Christians by our by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Love. Love God and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself.